Thanks for listening to the Embrace Church podcast. Wherever you're at today, we hope this message encourages you to take a step towards Jesus. Let's jump in. Well, what's up, Embrace? Welcome everybody here at 57th Street, or if you're at Sertoma or T, welcome to anybody joining online or at any of our network churches. We're glad that you're here today. My name is Jacob, and I'm the campus pastor over at our Sertoma campus. Shout out to the Sertomis over there right now. Uh, we are in our last week of this series, Masterpiece, where we've been looking at different pieces of art and seeing what we can learn about God through these works. And now the last couple of weeks, we've had multiple of our pastors speak, and almost all of them have come up and shown you their best attempt at art. Most of it's been fairly unrecognizable so far. Um, some of them have shown you their children's art, and a lot of their children's art has honestly been better than what they can do in most instances. And so I felt a little bit out of place these last couple of weeks because I actually come from a family of artists, especially on my dad's side. My grandpa and grandma are incredible artists. For the longest time back in the day, my grandpa actually used to draw Captain Crunch for all of the advertisements, okay? I've given a couple messages at this point. People don't believe me. This is real, okay? He really drew these for, ad, for the advertisements. If you don't know Captain Crunch, it's an amazing cereal, tastes great, slices the roof of your mouth to pieces when you eat it, Okay? But a guy named Jay Ward drew the original image, and, but whenever it was needed for advertisements, my grandpa would draw Captain Crunch. And yes, Captain Crunch is not the Mona Lisa, folks, okay? But they had a lot of other incredible talents and incredible works of art. Here's just a couple of them, things that they painted and made and sculpted and drew. They are incredible artists, even my dad, he's a great woodworker. He actually wrote a novel about this like mysterious puzzle box thing. And after he wrote the book, he then actually made that puzzle box. Like it works and everything. You can press buttons on it. Awesome. I'm sure you're wondering, Jacob, you're up there talking crap about the other pastor's art. Did you get the art gene? Well, let's take a look. I would mic drop right now, but I'd have to tear this off my head and throw it on the ground, and the production team would probably knock me out if I did that. So I'm not going to do that. This is the town I grew up in, Centerville, Indiana, a picture that I drew. Here's a painting I did of a guy in a boat, kind of a little more abstract. Um, this is a sketch my parents found from my angsty emo punk rock days. Um, you can tell that this guy is listening to music, and he's so moved by it. He can picture the band on top of his head. One single tear is coming down. It was from a very particular time in my teenage years, okay? Very particular time. I want to give a shout out to any of my early 2000s emo kids out there, okay? Um, but I really fancy myself as more of a cartoonist than anything else. For example, I can draw a mean SpongeBob, no tracing. Remember when you always had to clarify that in school? It's like, I didn't trace it, okay? No tracing. And then just for today, I was just kind of sketching, just drew a fun picture of my wife. She's saying, where's my iced coffee? Not that it's based off of anything or anything like that, but... I'm going to end up paying for that one. I'm going to be serving her iced coffee on a golden tray for the next three years. Um, but I actually want to introduce you to a different artist that's not in my family, a guy by the name of Gustav Klimt. Sweet tunic, bro. It's not real men wear pink. It's real men wear tunics, right? I was going to wear one today, but they nixed that. They're like, no, you can't do that. You can't wear a tunic. Uh, but Gustav Klimt was a Hungarian painter alive in the 19. Hundreds, the early 
hundreds to be exact. And he was made famous during his golden phase of painting where he would actually use like real gold leaf in the paintings to give them an extra shine. And that brings us to our piece that we are looking at today titled, Life is a Struggle, the Golden Night. Painted in 1903. Life is a Struggle, the Golden Night. And when Klimt painted this, his life was a struggle. I want to read to you a little bit about this painting from art writer Brad Allen. He says this, Klimt was a bit bitter when he painted today's night. He began pursuing his own unique art practice after three paintings he was commissioned to produce for the ceiling of the Great Hall of the University of Vienna were criticized. So Klimt painted this golden night after being rejected. This group of people asked him to paint all these paintings to fill this great hall. This was his big job, his big break. Then those paintings were criticized and they weren't used. So he felt shot down. Anyone ever feel that way? Rejected, used, angry, upset. Life is a struggle. So he was ticked. But instead of quitting and giving up, Gustav pressed on. He kept painting, and he produced one of his most famous works that we are looking at today. As you can see, we have this golden knight sitting on a horse. The golden knight is looking forward. His back is straight. He has his weapon in his hand. He's ready to charge into whatever comes his way. But if you just glance at this painting, you might miss one of the most important pieces of it. Down here in the corner is a snake. And this snake is in the golden knight's way. The snake is in the path of the golden knight. So Gustav painted this despite his circumstances, despite feeling hurt and pushed aside, Gustav was steadfast. Steadfast. What does steadfast mean? Steadfast means enduring, steady, unwavering. Again, steadfast means enduring, steady, unwavering. Steadfast is a word that we see come up in Scripture nearly 200 times. And when a word pops up that much, I think it gives us good reason to pay attention to it. We see this golden knight marching forward, ready to go. He is steadfast. That's our word we're looking at, steadfast. In the Bible, we're called to have steadfast love. Abraham was a man who was steadfast to the Lord. In Joshua, it says, stay steadfast in all that we learn from God. So why do we have to be reminded of this so many times? Why do we have to be reminded nearly 200 times to be steadfast? We have to be reminded of this because life is going to get hard. We're gonna experience betrayal we're gonna experience heartbreak. We're going to experience loss. And what are we to do in the face of these things that happen in our lives? Well, we're told nearly 200 times that we are to remain steadfast. So back to the snake. I wanna look at the snake again. Notice that the snake, the thing in the way, the obstacle in the way is much smaller than the golden knight. It's much smaller. It does pose a threat. It is dangerous, 
But the knight isn't focused on the snake. The knight is looking forward, not at the obstacle in his path. The knight is steadfast. So seeing this golden knight, seeing this steadfast knight, it reminds me of a guy named Joseph in the Bible that I want to highlight today. And Joseph really gives us a good picture of what it looks like to keep the faith even when life smacks you in the face. Just to give a little profile on Joseph, Joseph was betrayed and beaten by his brothers, his own family. Joseph's brothers then sold him into slavery at 17 years old. Can you imagine that as a teenager? Joseph was harassed and framed by his boss's wife, and then Joseph was wrongfully imprisoned for two years. Now, just to say it, for the first half of Joseph's life, he was not having a good time. His life was brutal. And I'm not talking about like losing your luggage at the airport or getting the wrong coffee order. I'm talking about the real stuff of life that beats you down, that breaks your heart, that exhausts you. Joseph experienced all of it. And what was his response? He was steadfast. He kept his faith in God strong and alive. He was steadfast. In fact, when he's finally face-to-face with his brothers again, the very people who beat him and sold him into slavery, the very people that caused the most painful years of his life, this is what Joseph says to them. You intended to harm me, but God intended it, God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. See, Joseph didn't suddenly decide, you know, I don't even believe anymore. You know, I'm done with all this God stuff. You know, I'm just done. He knew this life is a struggle, but the pain that he could have let crush him, he knew that God intended it for good. It's a lot easier said than done though, right? A lot easier said than done when you think about your lowest moment the most painful times, you just ask, how? Like, how do I stay steadfast when I'm hurting like that? I think we can look at Joseph's story and find a couple ways that we can stay steadfast. If we want to stay steadfast like Joseph, we have to trust when it doesn't make sense. We have to trust when it doesn't make sense. See, early on, God God gave Joseph dreams and visions about his life. God God was giving Joseph these plans. Joseph knew that that God had a plan for his life and he could have easily just thrown it all away when he experienced all the things that we talked about. He could have easily just let let it be thrown aside, let it crush his dreams. But instead, Joseph had a radical trust that God had a bigger and better plan involved. Joseph trusted that God was using that pain and hurt to make Joseph into the person that God wanted him to be. It was a radical trust in God, in God's plan. See, we rarely get the answers to life's big questions right when we want them, right? Why is this happening to me? Why this pain? Why now? What am I supposed to do with this? And it takes a radical trust in God's plan that God has a bigger and better vision, that he can see things that we can't see. In order to be steadfast, we have to trust. In order to be steadfast like Joseph, we have to be wise when it's easy to be 
foolish. Be wise when it's easy to be foolish. We see in Joseph's story, we see him run from temptation. Just just take off and run away from the the temptation. And I think this is so important when we look at being wise and steadfast. Joseph's boss's wife tries to get him to get in bed with her, and he runs. When we're emotionally broken, emotionally damaged, it becomes easier than ever to run to foolish things. And this world is full of them. Stuff that promises to ease our pain, stuff that promises to numb us, even people that are tempting to be around because you know that they're just gonna tell you exactly what you wanna hear. They're gonna get mad right along with you and they actually end up making the pain even worse. When life is a struggle, when our heart is broken, we've gotta run like Joseph from the things that could trip us up and make life even more of a struggle. We want to be steadfast like Joseph. We've got to be, we have to be faithful when you just want to quit. You have to be faithful when you just want to quit. Even in prison, Joseph sat there for two years and he continued to do the things that God wants us to do. He cared for people. He helped people. He was praying. He was listening for God. He was spending time with God. And isn't that the first thing to go when life is a struggle? Read my Bible? I'm going through this thing right now. Pray to God? Yeah, because he's doing a lot for me right now. Go to church? I don't want people to see me when I'm a mess like this. You have to be faithful in the everyday things to stay connected to God who has the bigger vision in mind. We'll lose touch with what God's doing in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the hurt, if we just pull away and quit and stop being faithful. In order to be steadfast, we must stay faithful. Here's why it's so important for us to answer this question today of of why should we remain steadfast? If we're not steadfast, we start to be in danger of living out what I call EKG faith. EKG faith, if you don't know what an EKG is, it roughly looks like this, and it's a visual representation of the electrical activity going on during the beating of a heart. And that, my friends, is probably the smartest I've ever felt, okay? So I'm just gonna push my glasses up here again and tell you this again. This is a visual representation of the electrical activity going on inside the beating of a heart, And it's characterized by these lines that shoot up and down in this kind of chaotic wave. And so when I say that we can be in danger of living an EKG faith, it's a faith that's characterized by these really high highs and then these immediate dark dips down with very little calm in between. We know that life is gonna be a struggle, but we've almost normalized this kind of chaotic up and down faith. It's like one moment we're like, yes, I got baptized. I love you, Jesus. I'm all about this. But then something happens at work. And you know what, God? I don't even know if you're there anymore. And then things start to get good again. It's like all oh, this worship song. God is so good. Never mind. No, he's not. And we know from scripture that life is gonna be like this. It's not if life gets hard. It's when life gets hard, when trials come our way. And yet one moment, it's like we're, we're way up high. And then the bad news comes, and we're an anxious mess, and we're not trusting God for anything anymore. Worse yet, maybe not even believing anymore. 
Now, I just want to ask, are you living in EKG faith? Has your faith looked a lot like this? The ups, the downs, the, the chaos. And I just want to say this. Many of us here today have experienced the worst of the worst that this life has to give. And it is okay to have questions, okay? It is okay to have questions. The whole point of this message is not to say, just suck it up, be strong. Your heart shouldn't feel like that. Your heartbreak shouldn't be that way. Instead, my prayer for us today, my prayer is that we realize that we can be heartbroken and steadfast at the same time. We can be heartbroken and steadfast at the same time. How do I know this? Because of the people in my life. If you really start to look around, you can find examples of it everywhere. When I think about the people who have been steadfast in the toughest times in their life, I think about people like my friends, the Washburns, who very suddenly and unexpectedly lost their son, Michael. When it happened, were, were they angry? Yeah. Were their hearts broken? Yes. They still are. Did they abandon their faith? Never. In fact, they were people who I know were praying for me during that time. They're the ones who needed prayer, yet they were people who were praying for others. They are steadfast. Think about my friends Riley and Paige. In 2021, they lost their six-month-old son, Kai. And I watched the dad, Riley, stand on this very stage at his son's funeral and tell everyone that there is hope and that that hope can only be found in Jesus because they're gonna see their son again. Was he shattered? Yes. Did any of it make sense? No. But he had a radical trust living inside of him that God had something more, that there is more after this life. He was and is steadfast. I think about Christian leaders, friends that I have who start up businesses and then they fail. But instead of saying, well, God, I guess you don't care about my dreams and quitting, they started something new and saw success. They were steadfast. Think about my family's own story. In 2014, my dad called me and he wanted to stop by the college house that I was living in at school at the time. And he called me out to his vehicle. I still remember it sitting there in his Ford Explorer. He looked at me and he said, hey buddy, your mom has breast cancer. And I just remember feeling like, like everything was gone. It's a really hard feeling to, to describe. And I remember sitting, in, sitting on my bed in that college house, breaking down in a way that probably no one had seen me break down before. Because in those moments, you catastrophize. And what I heard was, my mom's going to die. Now, an important thing to know is that during this time in my life, I was living out an EKG faith. I was way down here. I did not have a mature relationship with Jesus. So I didn't know what's 
Now, by the grace of God, my mom was brought through that battle with breast cancer. And then in 2020, at Christmas time, we sat down and had another conversation that we never wanted to have. My mom's cancer was back. This time it would require even more intense and immediate action. But something was different this time. My faith was different. Six years later, Jesus had done something in me where instead of the fear and the dread and the anger, we went to God immediately. See, God took what used to be panic and turned it into prayer. We came back to Sioux Falls and we were telling everyone that we could to pray for my mom. We had people at our campus that were writing notes, kids that were making art to send to her. Instead of letting the chaos rule, we were steadfast. Then in June of 2021, again, by the grace of God, my mom posted that the treatments were done, that the cancer was gone. Do you know the most beautiful part of this story? The person who was steadfast the most in these stories was my mom, the one who it was happening to. She just had this unexplainable peace about her. It's like, like what is that? How do you have that? She was steadfast. She kept a little sign on her dresser that said, the battle belongs to God. Steadfast. It doesn't mean no tears. It doesn't mean that it won't hurt a lot. But instead of causing this chaotic up and down EKG faith, it stays steady, trusting, faithful, wise. I want to bring us back to the painting. Notice that the knight, again, where the knight's eyes are facing, he's looking forward. He's looking straight ahead. For the sake of this illustration, we'll say that he's focused on God. All right, he's focused on God and God's plans for his life. Now again, the snake is still there. It poses a threat. It is a danger. It is an obstacle in the way, but he is not giving all of his attention to the snake. His his eyes aren't focused on the snake. Instead, he's looking forward. See, if I want a snake to look as intimidating, as menacing, as scary as possible, I need to actually get down on the ground face to face with the snake And all of a sudden, that problem seems a lot more terrifying. It seems a lot bigger at that moment. And this is what we do so often. We magnify the problem. We spend so much time focusing only on the pain, only on the struggle. Instead of keeping our backs straight, eyes up, looking forward, focused on God's perfect and perfect purpose and plan for us in our lives. The night is focused forward. We can't move forward if all we do is focus on the snake in our path. Good news though, good news. In Genesis, we have some verses that tell us what we do with snakes in our way. In Genesis it says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, he will crush your head. We are not meant to be overcome by the snake. And again, just to be so clear, the snake represents the struggle. We're not meant to be overcome by that evil. We're not meant to be taken down by that struggle. Instead, we were made to crush the head of the snake. We were meant to crush that struggle in our path. God made you for a perfect plan and purpose in your life. And while sometimes that life will feel absolutely brutal, 
You were created to crush the head of snakes. You are a serpent crusher. Put that on a t-shirt, somebody, right now. With God, you can do so much more than you thought you could do. With God, you can overcome things that you didn't think you'd overcome. With God, you can be the person who others rely on in their tough times. Steadfast. You can crush the heads of serpents with your eyes forward, feeling every bit of the struggle, but clinging to Jesus with everything we have. Again, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The night is marching forward, steadfast. So where's God asking you to be steadfast today? What snake is in your path that you know that you need to step on the head of? What is it in your life that's causing you to live this chaotic up and down EKG faith? Where is God asking you to be steadfast this morning? Let's pray. God, you are with us. And you didn't create us, Lord, to be, to be overtaken by the serpent. You didn't, you didn't create us to be overtaken by the struggle, Lord. But instead, you give us your spirit, Lord, to do things that we never thought we'd be able to do, Lord, because it's you. It's not us. We can't do this out of our own strength, Lord. We desperately need you. We need you, God. We need you, God. Help us to be steadfast, whatever someone is facing today, whether it be a problem at work, whether it be just, just dreams that haven't come true, whether it's an area of sin that's just been a cycle over and over again. It feels like it'll never be overcome. A relationship that's been broken. Whatever that trial, whatever that struggle is, Lord, I pray that today we would take a step to be steadfast, to not doubt you, instead trust you, that your plan is bigger, that even when we can't see it, you're working out this bigger and better plan for our lives. We need you, God. So you're gonna pray, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If today's message encouraged you or if there's someone who comes to mind that you think might need to hear today's message, take a moment now to share it with them. 